good therapy isn't easy. We want it to be easy. We desperately want it to be easy. We dream of a therapist, a wizard, a fairy godmother who has mastered life and will tell us exactly what to do. But that's where the train kind of runs off the tracks. The reality is therapy is hard, really hard. Therapy is gritty and therapy is slow. And there's no way around it. This is why. So today on the Insider's Guide to Therapy by Open Counseling, Stephanie Harrison and Mark Pines, myself, will be discussing why is it that therapy is so hard. Welcome, Stephanie. Great intro, Mark. Thank you. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I once had a dream that I wrote an opera, and I have never actually been in an opera. So, But I decided that I would follow the little thread there and try to be as dramatic as I can every once in a while. So this is my little pocket for doing that. Yeah, it, it's good. It works. And it's, it's true. I mean, um, you know, I was just thinking about this article and, and everything it talks about and how we can have all these ways of talking about therapy and understanding what it is, but the actual process is always so much messier and so much more gnarly than it. Like you read about therapy on paper and it's like, oh, you talk about this and you work on this and you heal this. And when you're in it, it just feels so messy. It is. There's a wonderful um, article written by someone, I wish I could credit them, called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. And it, it's about... I think that's Joan Didion. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. That's why we're a team. That's great. <laughs> but it, it alluded to, um, you know, therapy is not... It's not a... You're not hop, skipping and jumping. It's not... A relaxing talk it's it's not oh it's so nice to be listened to by my therapist it's gnarly and it's difficult and um progress comes um not linearly like in all sorts of kind of janky ways that you you can't predict and and there's a lot of suffering in the process itself it's it's worth it but there's an incredible amount of suffering in the process itself yeah, and there's something about, you know, there are ways and times therapy can be easy. You know, if you come into therapy with a really simple, concrete problem and you can like do 10 sessions of CBT and knock it out, you know, that you might get through that. But if you're really getting into the like, I want to understand myself, I want to work on these things that I've been carrying my whole life, you know, it's this process that has a beginning, middle and end. And it's the middle that's always the tough part. Um, I, you know, I dabble in fiction writing uh, in my spare time and in working on a novel um, one of the books I've picked up and read um, is called The Plot Whisperer but you know her she she gives herself that title because she helps people work through plot problems and where people always run into problems is the middle the middle of the story is messy. In the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm creating this world and I get to like meet my characters and I get to do all this fun stuff. And then you kind of get to the middle and you get stuck. And her interesting point of view is that this process parallels life. Like there's a parallel process between writing and life where the middle of anything is messy. And I definitely think that that, that applies to therapy too, right? Mm. Where it's like, 
it's that the beginning of therapy can feel like, I don't know, I feel like the first couple sessions are going to feel awkward, especially if you're new and you've not done therapy before. And, you know, you're just getting used to the whole interaction. Once you get used to it, it, I think there's like almost like a honeymoon period where, oh, my God, this person cares about me and they're listening to me and they're validating me and it's wonderful. But there's at some point when you start to hit that messy middle, that's when that honeymoon phase ends and the the difficult part begins. Yeah. So so it's an interesting question. Um, What is the middle of of therapy? Like for some people, it can be 10 sessions and some people it it could be six months or a year. It it takes a while to to get to it. But during the beginning of therapy, there's often a lot of low hanging fruit. I like to think of it as a therapist. Um, You know, often people just haven't had someone who will just listen and, and care about their problems and just an experience of that, even as short as it is, it, it's fairly measly, 45 minutes, 50 minutes a week. But for a lot of people, it, that's an extreme, like a lot more nourishment than they've got in, in a long time. And so they'll just take that in and they'll be really, you know, enhancing their life. Or at the beginning of therapy, sometimes there's some genuine advice you can give. Um, have you tried speaking to your husband or wife this way maybe if you phrase it in this way and there's like genuine advice that you can give which is genuinely helpful as advice but that is low-hanging fruit typically and eventually you run out of that as a therapist and eventually a client doesn't have anything that there are simple solutions to and then you get into the nitty-gritty of a person's personality and their inner world and that is work. It's hard work. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the the thing that's important to emphasize is even the hard part of therapy can feel really good because it's rewarding. It's like that, that balance of pain and pleasure. You confront something painful, but then you're released from it and you have a lot more freedom in your life. Um, So it's like that middle part of therapy is where you can really see some of the biggest impacts on your life because you're going from, like you said, dealing with these low hanging fruit, learning some problem solving skills that you can apply. All that stuff's great. You know, we all need that. But then, you know, I think the hard part, like the, the reason so many people come to therapy is because they've been going through something over and over in their life and they want to stop this cycle because it's usually a painful cycle. There's something they want to achieve. They're not achieving there's a quality they want in their relationships that's not there. Your romantic relationships don't work out. Um, you know, career efforts don't work out. Something just seems repetitive and cyclical. And when you're going through something repetitive and cyclical, it's usually because there's something in yourself you need to work through, whether that's, you know, unhealed trauma, um, stuff from your childhood, a way of thinking about yourself. And it's that moment where you really want to wrestle with how can I change my life so I don't just keep living the same cycle over and over again that you hit some of the difficult stuff in therapy. And, and, and so with that, it, it's kind of really, you, you bring up a really important point, you know, which I think you're alluding to is that, that these repetitive cycles in your life are about you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's typically not about the outside world so much or your partner or your mother or your father or your boss or the other significant people in your life. It, it's something about you and your inner world. And, and th- that's hard work there um, because 
what it brings to the surface are something called defenses. And we could spend a lot of time talking about defenses, but in short, I'm going to try to do my best to a very big topic. Defenses are the way your mind protects you from things that are overwhelming or conflictual, i.e. something too painful to think, something too sad to think, something that would um, make you feel crazy or, or I might die if this happens. And you hear it in kind of everyday language like, oh my God, I would die if I ever did that. Or, it, you know, your mind is aware that there are things that you shouldn't think about and it keeps those things from your awareness. And the generic term for that is, is defenses. Um, and working through those things um, takes is difficult. It's very rewarding. Um, but they, they really can just be done very kind of slowly. I would like to say methodically, but it, it's usually kind of clumsy and haphazardly. Um, and, and that just kind of takes time and work. Absolutely. And I mean, I, it's such an endless topic because so much, so many of the patterns we go through in life have to do with our defenses. And the work of therapy is taking these things that happen on an unconscious level and making it conscious. You know, it's not, there's not this idea that you get to a point where you don't have defenses anymore or else you couldn't function. Like we need defenses functioning on some level, but that there's some defenses that can cause more harm than good. And they're often what lock you into these repetitive cycles in your life, you know? And um, I think, I think this is fun. This brings me back to school days, but just going through a quick list of some of our top defenses, they include denial. We've all heard of denial. Denial is just the classic one where you're like that, that's not real. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to accept it. And and I have to mention the the kids joke that denial is not a river in Egypt. Yes, yeah, and and I think we all we all have deni- have gone through denial on some some level. I think it on some level it's active always. Although, you know, the the original theorists, and I think this is still true, kind of put defenses on a spectrum of ones that are potentially the most destructive up to ones that are a little healthier, like they they cause less negative side effects, so to speak. But denial can be pretty unhealthy because obviously if there's a big problem in your life and you refuse to acknowledge it even exists, nothing's ever going to change with that problem. So that's one of the least you know, effective ways. Another one that we hear about all the time is projection. That's when you you were feeling something, but you act like someone else is feeling it. Like you know, you're you're just in a constant state of internal rage, perhaps, but you don't want to accept that you're angry so you see your partner's angry and you're like why are you so angry you know that that's projection that's not a good one either <laughs> that gets you in a lot of trouble when you <laughs> accuse everyone is, uh, else one of our most common ones though. yeah yeah we we won't go too far off the deep end with this but you can see that playing out in our culture and politics a lot oh, um indeed. but you know another classic you know repression where Repression, like denial, you like just block it out of your psyche altogether. Repression, you actively say, oh, not going to think about it, not going to feel it. This one can be not so helpful, but it can also be like if you're conscious of it and say, you know what, I'm not going to think about this right now, but I'm going to come back when I have the inner resources to deal with it. That can actually be a helpful approach to things. Um, When we hear about a lot that has to do with trauma is dissociation, which is where you kind of just mentally vacate your immediate surroundings. You know, we all have so many tools in this day and age that we use to dissociate. You know, screens are a great way to dissociate. I don't like what I'm feeling or thinking, so I'm going to turn on the TV, turn on my phone, 
whatever we do, you know, so dissociation is just learning how to mentally, and you can do it even without an external tool, you know, especially if you've been through trauma, you learn how to dissociate and just go away somewhere in your imagination or just disconnect from your internal experience. And, you know, dissociation can be kind of life-saving if you're going through something terrible, but it's ultimately very, you know, it's not conducive to a long-term solution to anything because it's sort of like denial. You're just not confronting or dealing with whatever it is. Um, and there's so many of these defenses. I just wanted to name check a few because we so these are things that just play such a role in in our lives. And so, you know, and there we go. They're vital. Defenses are vital at some level because they, they save us from unbearable feelings. Um, and we, we need an ability to tolerate unbearable feelings. And no matter who you are, there are a bunch of unbearable feelings that, that you work hard to um, keep at bay. And defenses are our mind's way of doing that. Um, so the plus side is they keep us kind of sane um, and away from unbearable pain. The, the downside is that they limit our lives um, right. in significant ways. Um, and this would run the gamut from, you know, broken marriages to, um, you know, pretty much any sort of disaster in life at some level is probably something to do with defenses in a way, um, what diseases to a body, a, a bad defenses to the mind is any sort of number of thing is the cause. It, they're the cause of any sort of number of, of negative thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the the defenses that they say are the more healthy ones are the ones that are where you're at least partially conscious of what you're doing. Like, you know, um, one of the ones that's sort of in the middle is rationalization which is where you're not denying that something exists or disconnecting from it, but you're explaining it in a way to your, this is one of my favorites, by the way, but you explain it to yourself in a way that makes it seem less threatening because of the right. way you're explaining it to yourself. And then um, example one on the, probably the, they call the healthier side is something like um, humor. You right. know, humor is often like pretty much every single um, stand-up comedian is using humor as a defense. They're they're talking about their anger or they're talking about their insecurities, but they're doing it in a humorous way. And and that's another example of a place where they're actually talking about the thing that they find unbearable, they're suffering with, and they can put words to it, um, which. Is, is what's considered more evolved defense versus something right. like denial where, oh, I don't feel this thing. They can't, they aren't even saying, I don't feel this thing. They're completely consciously unaware of that part of themselves, which has a large bearing on, on who they are and how they are in the world. Right, right. Yeah, I think two of the healthiest defenses are humor, as you just said, and the other one, uh, sublimation, which is where you take this energy that's really upsetting and you channel it into some sort of often a creative effort, but you, you, it's the whole idea of channeling your anger, channeling your sadness that, you know, uh, people that have suffered a loss that start some sort of memorial scholarship or 
um, taking the something painful you've been through, you know, like, like being a musician and writing a song about a breakup. And even though the breakup was really painful, the song is beautiful. And, you know, that's sublimation. And like, what would human culture be without sublimation? Like, we don't want to get rid of this stuff. It's just, I think the project in therapy is a move away from some of the more unhealthy defenses toward the healthier ones, but B it's all about like just understanding what's going on, becoming aware of this whole inner world that you have and how you sort of deal with things. And this is wonderful thing about therapy for me, which is defenses, for example, are, it's almost like what an alphabet is to the English language. They are some of the most fundamental building blocks of our mind, but they're not much talked about in common, um, like, common culture and and common society but um they really are so fundamental to how our minds work and um understanding your defenses and um, working through them is the the therapy term is a way of achieving a, a, a great degree of emotional freedom than you is the only way i i think i know to achieve greater emotional freedom um it's not pretty it's not quick it's um, very meaningful. It's very gratifying. But, but this is why therapy is so hard because your defenses protect you from unbearable feelings. Now, gradually in therapy, for example, you'll see um, people will be able to feel the unbearable feelings. And by feeling them and being held in them and being comforted in them, they no longer need to keep those um, feelings at bay and the defenses can lower and they can get um, the benefits in their life. Um, but the middle part of therapy is a lot about feeling those feelings you've been avoiding a long time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that every, the def- we all use pretty much all the defenses at some point. Like we've probably used every single one at some point. But the ones that people tend to use the most vary from person to person. But I think one of the universal things that happens in therapy, regardless of which particular defenses you use, is that we kind of start therapy externalizing a lot of our problems. And, you know, the classic, and it's interesting because a lot of people who criticize therapy or question whether therapy is useful say, well, it's just about talking about your childhood and get, you know, blaming your parents for everything. When in reality, therapy is trying to get you out of that blaming your parents thing. Like you have to start there. You have to like, for some people, those unbearable feelings are admitting like I actually was really angry at my mom or Ooh, this parent that I thought was bad. I actually really love them. And maybe I, I, you know, you, you question these things about your parents. That's part of the journey of therapy, but ultimately you're trying to get to the point where instead of blaming your parents for everything that's happened to you, you start to see it's tricky because your parents did do some shit to you. <laughs> You know, and you you have to acknowledge that and grieve anything you lost or whatever. But then there's a point where you realize I'm an adult now. I'm no longer in my childhood. So I've internalized these things that happened in my childhood. And it's me now. I'm doing it to me now. Even if my parent was the first one that did it to me, I'm still doing it to myself. And it's that turning point where you start to realize maybe there were people that wronged me. Maybe some bad things happened. And you have to, you know, work through that. But then you get to the point where you're like, I'm still doing this to me. How can I stop doing it to me? 
and you start to take responsibility for this because we all do this. We, you know, uh, we base our adult worlds initially, especially if it's unexamined or we don't do therapy. We just reenact what our childhoods were, basically. Uh, whatever that emotional environment is, is where we feel comfortable and safe, even if it was really unsafe, you know. So we have to start deconstructing that and saying, I'm still creating this same environment. How can I stop creating this environment? How can I stop creating these cycles in my life? And so, um, Stephanie, you brought up a, a quote from Young, um, which really struck me as amazing. Um, I don't think I'd heard it before, but he said, until you make your subconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Yeah, that's a that's such a good quote. Oh, it really is. Um, and... So part of the things that our defenses do is they, they keep out of awareness things, but we subconsciously reenact them over and over and over again. And I should be, give you an example. Um, it, it's kind of hard to construct an example. Um, but there's an inevitability of repeating the things that we haven't fully processed in our mind. Um, one of the things that our mind's always tr trying to do are trying to fix the past um mm -hmm. so for example if you were abused as in a child and you could never really acknowledge that the abuse was happening which is a very normal thing to do because you have to keep away from reality you have to keep away from the reality of your circumstances you will want to um you will create that abuse or find that abuse in in your adulthood life and you'll kind of keep on doing that with new partners and new partners and new partners and that can be from subtle abuse to more gross sort of like physical abuse but this is kind of part of the thing um, example of where defenses kind of save you from a horrible experience in childhood but are, are causing you trouble in your present day yeah and i think you know one example that comes to me that's a pretty common one in some form is that if you if in childhood you grew up in a highly conflictual highly charged or chaotic home environment no one wants to be in chaos like when you're when you're a kid and you, you know your parents are yelling at each other you know even if they're not physically fighting or harming one another it's scary when adults are losing control and yelling and throwing things across the room so as a child you're you're in a state of fear but it also starts to become familiar. You almost start to anticipate these moments of conflict and it becomes normative for you. So it's very common then as you become an adult to seek out partnerships and not just romantic relationships, but even friendships or work environments that are highly conflictual and chaotic. Because even though that environment creates stress and anxiety, it also feels familiar to you. It feels like how things maybe are supposed to be on some level. And the way we tend to be drawn back into these things and recreate these things has a lot to do with our defenses and, and how we think about ourselves and think about life. And the wonderful thing about therapy is that this pattern where you're constantly creating chaos, pain, conflict in your life, you don't have to be trapped in that forever. And that process by which you become free of that pattern is what happens in therapy. But when you're dealing with something that deep, you do have to get to that difficult middle where you turn the attention around onto yourself and say, okay, my, you know, my parents did this stuff. It was awful. I'm the one doing it now. How can I stop? 
And that's the, that's the hardest thing I think any of us can do is have that level of confrontation with how we are creating our own suffering on some level. Gosh, um, hard, but, but so worth it ultimately in the end. And, and, um, the lovely thing about therapy is it does, it allows us to, to transcend these struggles, which we would otherwise just endlessly repeating. I, I always think it's such a tragedy that the original tragedy happened, but the way our psyche tries to tolerate and deal and segment off a, a terrible thing in childhood is by not acknowledging it, but then at some level subconsciously repeating it. And so this original trauma gets repeated, you know, over and over and over and over in this person's life. Um, and at some level deep inside of them, it's happening all the time. Um, and, and therapy through its complicated, slow process allows eventually um, you to transcend the original thing and, and um, the, the, those things which you're kind of forced to repeat and you're kind of continually messing up your present life, you can really make the past the past, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, beautifully said. And, and the only thing I'd add, you know, is just to wrap it up is, you know, um, the language around therapy and what we do in therapy is always changing. And it's just interesting to hear people talk about now learning how much of your life has just been a trauma response. You know, not not everyone goes through textbook trauma, but we all go through somewhat traumatizing experiences. And when you learn how much of your learned behaviors or your patterns were formed as a trauma response, so to speak, to what was going on in your childhood, but that you don't have to live your whole life from that place. It, it's so amazing. Like your life can be so different than, you know, you can feel like you're stuck in the same cycle over and over and over. And then you have this moment in therapy where things start to change and you realize I don't, I don't have to respond the same way. I don't have to be in fight or flight, you know, cause that's what a lot of these things do. They put us in this defensive posture where we're in fight or flight mode where there, you know, we're, we're constantly pushing ourselves into and out of crises. And then when you learn like, Oh my gosh, I can respond to life differently and, you know, still deal effectively with actual challenges, but not, not like do things that create chaos and pain. It's this amazing moment of just recognizing that you don't have to live this thing that seemed like it was fate anymore, like Jung was saying, that you you get this moment of liberation and that's just one of the most incredible things that you can experience, I think. Yeah, and it, it, the, the word fate is really interesting because people, um, in a way, are fated to, to reenact their past traumas and they will experience as fate without really understanding why it's fate. And um, in therapy, you get the opportunity to first of all understand, oh, this is your personal fate because of where it ha what originally happened. And then the opportunity to process all the very difficult feelings that you didn't have a chance to process earlier can transform that. That's something that you're fated to repeat over and over again into just bad experiences that happened in the past and bad and, you know, the, the difficult things that I did as a result. And, and that's the, the wonderful hope of therapy. So before I wrap up, please check out the accompanying article written by Stephanie called Why is Therapy So Hard? And um, 
Stephanie's done a great job describing exactly what we're talking about. Um, she has a great section. If you want to do a deep dive of all the defense mechanisms you may be using, and there are a bunch, um, people tend to have a characteristic couple, which are their go-to, um, but we can all kind of identify with different sorts of defenses, speaking of which identification is one of the defenses, but <laughs> that was just a therapy joke there. Um, and, you know, in a world where um, quick fixes are, are put forth, um, this is an anti-quick fix kind of podcast and, and um, real deep therapy. Just, I would love it if a quick fix worked. It's unfortunately doesn't and won't. And um, sometimes you just got to accept the hard work that goes along with it. But we would rather inform you that there is hard work and you can just kind of roll up your sleeves and get used to it it's ultimately going to be the most rewarding thing you do in your life. It's not going to be easy, but it's for a reason. Well, and I, I'll just cut in real quick and say there are some things in therapy that can be easy, but it's if, it, if it's an easy solution, the problem was kind of easy. The, the wonderful thing about the parts in therapy that require hard work is the harder you work, the more amazing the result's going to be. The harder, so if you're getting to a point in therapy where it's feeling hard, keep going, because if you do the work, it can completely change your life. It's amazing. All right. And that is a great way to end. Um, please check out Why Is Therapy So Hard on opencounseling.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to speaking next week.